0: Hello, welcome to the Step-by-Step Sermon Podcast. I'm Andrew Bird harris and I'd like to thank you for listening. You can learn more about this podcast by visiting stepbystepsermons.com. The sermon you are about to listen to is preached at Locust Run United Methodist Church. You can learn more about Locust Run United Methodist Church by visiting their website, locustrunchurch.org. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he told them. And they were untying the cult. Its owners asked them, why are you untying the cult? And they said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the cult, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. And as he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered them, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, as we meditate on your word and hear your word proclaimed, open up our hearts, open up our minds, and let us hear what the spirit is saying to us this morning. Amen. Being a liturgical nerd is hard. Now before I explain the hardships of being a liturgical nerd, and you roll your eyes and ask the question, if this is the biggest problem you have in your life, I have the wrong job. Uh, (laughs) I, I need to probably explain what liturgical means. And liturgical comes from the word liturgy. And liturgy is the word that we use to describe Christian worship, the form and shape of Christian worship. So what we do on Sunday morning is liturgy, and it can look, like, a lot of different ways and be done in a lot of different means, and people who get, are liturgical nerds, and a lot of pastors are, get, like, really concerned about how do you do things the best way, the right way, and then it gets hard because it keeps changing over time, like, I've always called the Sundays in Lent, uh, Sundays uh, of Lent, this is the first Sunday of Lent, second Sunday of Lent, but now I learned this year that it's the Sundays in Lent. So if you're going to be most correct, you can't say of Lent, you have to say in Lent. And, and, and things change over time in terms of how we worship. I imagine some of the older folks, like there would be seasons in the church like Advent that maybe we didn't take so seriously in the past that were taken more seriously. Protestants in the second half of the 20th century started going back to the ancient church's rituals and the ancient church's texts and started trying to include in our worship what the early church did, that, that when we have a funeral service or we do communion, you might wonder, why do we use the words that we use? Well, they're based on early churches communion services and early churches funeral services, and we're trying to connect back to the past as we lead, lead worship. And, and one of the things that have, have, has changed over time is Palm Sunday. When I was little, Palm Sunday was Palm Sunday, and I loved Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm Sunday and Easter were two of my favorite Sundays. Palm Sunday was my favorite in, in, in part because we had palms, and they were toys, and they are a lot of fun. Our palms looked a little different than your palms, we had the long Uh, ones not the ones that actually kind of look like palms. And so you could use them as swords, you could annoy your neighbor with them by tapping them on the back of their neck. There was all sorts of fun things you could do with the palms. And so that was always fun. Uh, Easter morning was fun because I'd go to the sunrise service with my mom so I didn't have to go to the later service, and then we'd go to Dunkin' Donuts, and so that that was a lot of fun too. But, so two of my favorite Sundays. But Palm Sunday was always Palm Sunday, and it was a lot of fun. And then I go to the seminary, and I go to a church in the Boston area in Somerville, Massachusetts, And they celebrated Palm Sunday in a great way, but they called it Palm Passion Sunday. And they both celebrated Palm Sunday, but also the passion of Jesus. We'd start out the morning by going to a local park, and we would get a donkey from the Heifer Project. And then we would get a whole bunch of people from the local churches to grab palms, and we'd process down the main avenue of town. They used to process right into the church, but... Bring a donkey in the church is a messy affair, so they stopped doing that a long time ago. And so then we would go all the way down to the main square in front of the subway station, and we'd have a Palm Sunday service. And it, it was a lot of fun, it was a great witness. Uh, people looked at us really funny because not everyone understood what Palm Sunday is, but it, it, was, it was great. And then we'd go back to the church for our second worship service, and then we would be focused on the passion of Jesus. And we would have planning meetings, and we'd get in big fights. How should we celebrate Palm Passion Sunday? Should it just be Palm Sunday? One person thought Palm Sunday should be Palm Sunday. Monday, Thursday should be Monday, Thursday. Good Friday should be Good Friday. And we should not be mixing all of them together the way the pastor liked to do. But the pastor had the final word. And he always said, look, not everyone's going to come to Monday, Thursday. Not everyone's going to come to Good Friday. And there's a big problem if you're going to celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter and forget everything that happens in between and it's kind of caused me a problem because sometimes I like to, well, most of the time I do Palm Passion Sunday, and and the message is either that the 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 passage, the Passion passage from one of the Gospels, or I preach from one of the Gospels about Good Friday. But then sometimes I think like we should just have Palm Sunday should just be Palm Sunday, and so after a lot of fighting in my head about this, I decided we'll do Palm Sunday this year together. But then I had a, a big question like, what am I going to preach on? I mean, I could obviously preach on praising Jesus, but I just keep thinking about how could they get it so right on Palm Sunday, but get it so wrong the rest of the week, that that on the one hand, Jesus is welcomed as a king, and Jesus is praised and celebrated, but by the end of the week, the people who are praising Jesus and celebrating Jesus either have abandoned him, or might even be in the crowd calling for his crucifixion, and that you have on the one hand this beautiful celebration recognizing that Jesus is king. But by the end of the week, this king is being treated in the worst way possible. And, and that's a tension that I've been thinking about as I look at our gospel lesson today. Our gospel lesson uh, is in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And it starts with a passage that we read a, a, a few weeks ago about Jesus and Zacchaeus. And, 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 and Jesus has come out of his way to see Zacchaeus. And he's been trying to show the Pharisees that his goal, his mission, is to seek the lost. And so he says that even Zacchaeus, a tax collector, the worst of sinners, is a son of Abraham. And that his purpose is to come to seek the lost. And then Jesus tells a really disturbing parable after talking to Zacchaeus. And Luke tells us he says this parable because he's very close to Jerusalem. And because people think that he's going to start his kingdom in Jerusalem. And, 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 And when you read this parable in the context of Palm Sunday, I find it very disturbing. Jesus tells this parable about a man, a noble man, He wants power. And so he goes to a foreign land in the quest for power. And before he leaves, he summons his slaves and says, here's some money. I want all of you to make more money with the money that I'm given to you. And as he goes to this foreign land, all the people in the land that he's in don't want him to have more power. And they complain bitterly saying they don't want him to be king. But he returns anyway, and he comes back with power, royal power, and he brings back all of his slaves, and he says, what did you do with my money? And a lot of the slaves come back and say, well, you gave me this much, and I've doubled it, or I've tripled it, and all of them are rewarded with more money, more power, more responsibility. But one poor servant comes back and says, I'm scared of you. You're not a nice dude. And so... I just hit it. I didn't even put it in the bank. I just hit it. And here it is. And that servant gets yelled at. And, 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 and Jesus says, I tell you, to all those who have, more will be given. But for those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. And it, I think in some ways it's trying to be a foreshadowing to us that, that Jesus is going to leave. And we're all entrusted with the ministry that Jesus has given us. And, and, and Jesus wants us to use what Jesus has given us. And, and those who use it will be given more, and those who don't will be given less. But that's not actually the most disturbing part of the parable, because what comes next is Jesus then says, but as for these enemies of mine who do not want me to be king over them, bring them here and slaughter them in my presence. Now, this is the, the nobleman speaking, not Jesus inherently. But to the extent that you see Jesus as a nobleman, in that parable, that that Jesus was rejected by the people of his his own home country, that he was not seen as the king he was, and, and people did not want him to be king. That's a very ominous threat and warning to them. And with that in mind, Jesus then heads into Jerusalem, and we get into today's lesson. And Jesus sends out two of his disciples ahead of him and tells them to get a cult that's never been ridden before, and to take it, and he's going to ride it. And if anyone challenges them along the way, they're supposed to say the Lord needs it. And they go out, they find the cult, they start to take the cult, and the owners, as you might guess, are kind of distressed that someone's taking their cult. Uh, livestock, very valuable, not something that you want to lose. And, and, uh, and, and they just say the Lord needs it, and that works they let the, the disciples take the colt they put their cloaks on the colt to give jesus a better more comfortable ride they put him on the colt and then he enters into jerusalem now just to remember jesus is popular jesus has been going around in the gospel of luke and crowds follow him that he has to go to deserted places to play, because otherwise he is overwhelmed with people over and over again they've seen how he has healed the sick They've seen how he's raised the dead. They've seen him cleanse people of unclean spirits. They've seen him cast out demons. And they are impressed with him. That, that they really think he is something special. They think he has come from God. And they think him coming into Jerusalem means he's going to take the throne of David for himself. And so they are just whoa. Well, Exalted. They are joyful. They are celebrating. They say, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. It reminds us of what the angels said when, when Jesus is born to the shepherds. It's very, very similar. And so it's coming full circle. And, and, and as he's going and they're praising him, they're throwing their cloaks On the road that in the ancient world apparently I don't understand it but it was a great honor to have your 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 way covered with cloaks or in the Gospel of John they say they take palm branches hence Palm Sunday and they put palm branches on the road and 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 this upsets the Pharisees the Pharisees tell Jesus you need to get your disciples to stop doing this now part of it's they're jealous throughout the Gospel of Luke they have not liked Jesus they've not liked his popularity they don't like the company he keeps they don't like his ministry But part of it also is they're worried about the Romans. That in the context of this, they're on the verge of Passover. And the Passover is a celebration of the people of Israel being liberated from the Egyptians. And the Romans know this. They know that a lot of people come into Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. And again, they're celebrating a festival of freedom, of liberation. And they're always afraid that some... uh, Troublemaker is going to come into Jerusalem during this time and say, you know what? Not only did God free us from the Egyptians, but God can free us from the Romans as well. And so whenever anyone makes a fuss, especially as someone who's being called a king, he's seen as a threat. The Pharisees want the disciples to stop because they're afraid that he's going to bring the whole wrath of the Roman Empire upon them. And they just want to have peace. They don't want the Romans to be upset. And Jesus tells, though, the Pharisees that even if the disciples were to stay silent, the stones would praise and shout out praises to to him. There's a whole lot going on here. I can't possibly unpack everything that's happening. But what I want to focus on is how all this takes place in the shadow of the cross. That you have for one moment people getting it so right, minus the Pharisees. They're praising Jesus. They're calling him king. They're giving him the entrance he deserves. But by the end of the week, they're abandoning Jesus. Some of them might be calling for his crucifixion. And how can you on one moment get it so right, and then the next moment get it so wrong? And honestly, this kind of scares me. That, that, that if they can get it so right in one moment, and get it wrong in another moment, that, that maybe we too can do the same. It's humbling. And, and, and it's humbling, and that's why I want to get... The main point of today's sermon to be this, that Palm Sunday challenges us to be humble, even as we praise Jesus. That, that we can get it so right and easily get it so wrong. And we need to be really humble even when we think we're getting it right. You might wonder why were there palm crosses in the, the second page of your bulletin this morning in the corner. And, and a lot of people, if you have the long palms, like to make crosses out of them. And for me, it captures the tension of Palm Sunday. That on the one hand... Palms are symbols of triumph, of victory in the ancient world. And they were honoring Jesus by using these symbols of victory to cover his path. But then at the same time, they're in the shape of a cross. And the cross reminds us not that, that, of, of the, that horrible experience that Jesus has. That crosses in the ancient world were not, not something, like, we sing a good hymn about them now. But in the ancient world, the Christians did not like crosses. For a long time, Christians would not use crosses in worship. If you go uh, dig up an ancient church, you're not going to find a cross, the earliest ones. If you go to the ancient graves of Christians, you're going to see a lot of artwork, but you're not going to see crosses. It took a long time for Christians to, to be able to use crosses in their worship because they were horrifying. The Romans used them to terrorize people. They put crosses on the side of major thoroughfares, and then they put people to die on those crosses, and they wanted a crowd to see what happens to people who go against Rome. And I don't want to, 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 to bum you out too much, but crucifixion is a horrible way to die, that you have to, to, to either breathe or you have to rest. And over time, it gets harder and harder to breathe, And you rest more and more as you get dehydrated and you run out of food. And you basically suffocate to death. And it can take days. And you're out in the elements, whether it's really hot or it's really cold. And people are mocking you and people are jeering you and people are staring at you. It's a horrible experience. It was reserved for the worst of the worst. And so you have, on the one hand, Jesus being welcomed as a king. And then he's being treated as the most despised person possible by the end of the week. And so the people who are praising Jesus one moment are abandoning Jesus the other moment. And it captures the tension of Palm Sunday that we praise Jesus, celebrate Jesus, but we know all this takes place in the shadow of the cross. And that if we think we're any different than the people that put him there, then we need to be more humble. We need to realize that we're not any better. That when we talk about the disciples We often like to, because we know the whole story, uh, laugh at the places they get things wrong. Laugh at their moments of weakness and their moments where they say the wrong things. But but we're not any better as disciples. That we often get things wrong. We often say the wrong things. And we often like to attack the Pharisees. We often like to just say, look, they are the, 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 the holiest people. The people who are trying to be the closest to God and they could not even see God in their midst. But it's easy to become arrogant. It's easy to think you're doing the right things and end up doing the wrong things. And so Palm Sunday challenges us to be humble, even as we praise Jesus. Following Jesus is a spectrum, that that there are days we get it right. There are days we get it wrong. And hopefully, as, as we head towards Christian perfection, that over time, by the grace of God, we grow more in love with God, more in love with our neighbor. There's less and less sin in our lives. But even as we grow closer to God, we have to be humble. We have to be careful because it's easy to praise Jesus one moment and then abandon Jesus the next. That for the disciples, they're praising Jesus, they're exalting Jesus, they're calling him king. And by the end of the week, they are abandoning Jesus. And we often call Jesus Lord. We often call Jesus king. But then do our actions and our words reflect Jesus' kinship? Do we build our kingdom in God's kingdom? Do we live into God's kingdom? Or do we build ourselves and live to ourselves in the kingdoms of this world? On Monday, Thursday, we're going to talk about Jesus' command to love one another. And that's the one thing Jesus wants us to do. That's the one thing Jesus wants us to be known for. But often that's the one thing we fail at, to love one another. That we can praise Jesus in one moment. And then be very unloving the next moment. And the challenge for us then on this Palm Sunday is to be humble even as we praise Jesus. As we enter this Holy Week, my challenge and invitation for us this week is to participate in all of Holy Week. I invite you to come out to Monday, Thursday. I invite you to join us for Good Friday. And for those of you where that's going to be impossible or difficult to, to do, then I invite you to read the story of the Last Supper from your favorite gospel and to read the passion of Jesus, the, the, the passages of Scripture that come after uh, the, the Last Supper, and to remember that, that, that Jesus not, is just not only praised as a king, but then Jesus suffers on our behalf, and that it invites us to be humble even as we praise Jesus. Amen.